You're listening to the Her Leadership Coach Podcast for the quietly determined career woman who's looking to step up into her first or next level leadership role. If you're looking to make a bigger, more positive difference in your organization, you've come to the right place. Well, hello, welcome in. It's Rochelle. This season on Her Leadership Coach, we've embarked on an exploration of biases and how they shape our careers, our relationships, our lives. And our mission really is to understand them, face them head on, and ultimately triumph over them. In today's episode of Her Leadership Coach, we're taking a close look at yet another bias that can impact our careers. It's called affinity bias. Now, you might be thinking, what exactly is affinity bias? Is it some kind of relation to those stones in Avenger movies? Yeah, sorry, I couldn't resist a Marvel reference. But what's it got to do with work? Well, my lovely listener, that is precisely what we're about to unpack. By the end of this episode, you'll not only understand what affinity bias is, you'll also learn how it might be affecting your career, particularly as a woman striving for leadership, and as always, we'll explore practical strategies for addressing it. All right, so let's start with what exactly is affinity bias. Simply put, it's the tendency to like people who are like us. If you think about the people in your inner circle, it is highly likely that they are like you in some shape or form, if not many. We gravitate naturally towards individuals who share similar interests, have similar backgrounds or characteristics with us. It's that unspoken connection we feel when we discover a shared love for something like a hobby or a cultural background. Whenever I meet someone that's from New Zealand, I have this instant connection with them uh, because I live in Australia, just in case I, you haven't caught up with that one. Um, my husband, for example, he absolutely loves Seinfeld, uh, has watched every episode many times, wears the t-shirt, all of the things. As soon as he finds out someone he's just met also gets his obscure Seinfeld references, it's like they're immediately best friends for life. Now, this might sound like, duh, of course people like people who are like them. And it probably seems harmless on the surface. And oftentimes it's a good thing. But unfortunately, it has some big impacts that aren't so great. In the workplace, affinity bias typically shows up in hiring decisions, in who gets promoted, and even in how work assignments are handed out. So let's say your manager loves cricket for example, and so does one of your colleagues. It's not like they just know that about each other and that's it, but they talk about cricket every Monday as they rehash the weekend's game. They laugh or cry about the team they support. They might even go to a match together. And at some point when that exciting new project comes up, the manager might unconsciously favor that colleague, sometimes even consciously. Even if other people in the team are equally or more competent than that colleague. And of course, you're more likely to be alike, to share the same background or hobby or characteristics if you're the same gender, right? Uh, I know plenty of women that do love cricket, but there are plenty more men that currently 
do talk about sports all of the time. Uh, so, and not just gender, even more so if you're the same race. And unfortunately, since more men, and particularly white men, hold leadership positions, they are often the ones making the hiring, promotion, and work assignment decisions. And while they might consciously think they are making decisions based on merit, research has shown that it's actually often not the case. Now, the implications of this are far-reaching. Affinity bias can limit diversity, stifle innovation, and create a workplace where certain perspectives are favoured over others. Uh, And that creates a workplace where our, our services, our products, our policies are created uh, without all of the voices in the room and, and for someone that is not in the room. Uh, sorry, for the people that are in the room. <laughs> it might even affect you without you realizing it. So let me share a personal story just to highlight how this can affect you. A few years ago, I applied for a temporary leadership role along with three other very competent women. And yeah, the competition was stiff and I didn't know whether I was going to get it or not, but I definitely knew I was able to do the role. So we went through the the recruitment process, the process, and my manager decided at the end of it that she would share the role between two of us, giving each of us a three-month stint so we could get some valuable experience, which I thought was fantastic, right? Um, Of course, I wanted the six months, but (laughs) three months each is good. Um, However, after my manager went to seek approval from a senior leader, which was a requirement of the process, everything changed. Instead of backing the manager's decision, He asked another woman who hadn't even applied for the role to make an application after the process had concluded and instructed my manager to appoint her. Why? Well, given she was also a woman, it wasn't gender bias. It wasn't straight out, I like, you know, this is a man, he's going to get the role. It was, however, affinity bias. The senior leader and the newly appointed woman shared a passion for running and they talked about it at least once a week um, with passion and, you know, again, the laughter and I did this run and it was, it was uh, like lovely interaction between the two of them. Now, at first glance, this might seem quite trivial, right? What does a shared love of running have to do with a leadership role? But as with the example earlier, that's the subtlety of affinity bias. In this case, it led to a decision that overlooked competency, fairness, and the established process. Unfortunately, it didn't go well for my colleague that got the role. She really wasn't ready for it, and um, she struggled quite a bit. We all backed her. We, you know, we were all mature women who actually were very capable of doing leadership roles uh, and backed her in the role, but it just wasn't the right role for her at the right time. So this experience was really eye-opening for me. In fact, it's one of the reasons I started to do some serious research into what was going on for women in the workplace. And I share this story not just as a reflection of my own journey, but as a mirror to help you identify and reflect on similar situations that might have occurred throughout your career. Have you experienced something like this? I'd love to hear from you if you have. Jump into the Facebook group and let me know. 
The more we recognize these biases, though, the more we can address them, both individually and collectively. It's no point putting our heads in the sand with these things. Now, affinity bias isn't just about shared hobbies like running or cricket. It can manifest in various ways, including, like I said before, shared backgrounds. Uh, it, It can include education. So if you went to the same university or um uh, secondary school or even physical appearance um, you might see you know people that are very tall might hang out together or people with red hair for example might hang out together now obviously not always the case but they might not hang out together they might just like each other that little bit more the result however regardless of how this affinity bias manifests is the same It can lead to unfair decisions that affect people's careers and opportunities. So research. There was a study conducted by Rivera L.A. where she analyzed the hiring practices of elite professional service firms and found a lot of evidence of affinity bias. She observed 120 interviews and analyzed over 40 hiring evaluations And within that, uncovered how interviewers leaned towards candidates with whom they shared common experiences, hobbies, or educational backgrounds. And as we've already discussed, this can be extrapolated to promotions. So this was a hiring practice, but that can be extrapolated to promotions, who gets the stretch assignments, which uh, the stretch assignments often are the things that lead to promotions, and even performance reviews. So if you're getting feedback in a performance review, Research has shown that that can be changed based on affinity bias. So what's behind affinity bias? I, of course, was curious as to why why does this happen? Why is the brain doing this to us? And I read an article in Psychology Today that neuropsychological insights provide some fascinating answers here. So apparently our brains are wired to empathize and connect with those we perceive as part of our in-group, so those that are like us. Um, And it's as though our brains treat them as extensions of ourselves. So it uses the same neural pathways when empathizing with those that are like us as we do when thinking about our own feelings and experiences. So it's almost like we're not just we're not just putting ourselves in their shoes, we're in their shoes. And so when we're hiring them, it's like we're giving ourselves a lift. In contrast, those outside our group, those that aren't that we don't identify as being like us, activate a completely different neural pathway and that leads us to feel more indifferent to them. It's not that we dislike them necessarily, we just don't have that same level of empathy. And so this biological stuff that's going on inside us can lead to affinity bias in the workplace, um, which you know influences all of these hiring and promotional decisions. And so we have to work consciously to overcome this. Now, this isn't just about an issue of fairness, although, of course, that to me is really important. Um, But for organizations to take notice of this, they might want to realize that it affects economic outcomes as well. There was a study by the Peterson Institute for International Economics, and they did this in 2016. 
um, which talks to diversity and leadership. And they analyzed nearly 22,000 companies across 91 countries. And they found that an increase in the share of women in leadership positions from zero to 30%. So uh, if you're in a you know nation where or, or a company where you have zero women in leadership at the moment and you move that to thirty percent, that's associated with a one percent one percentage point increase in net margin, which doesn't sound like much, but in fact, that's a fifteen percent boost in profitability for a typical firm. So you haven't hired more people. It is not costing you more money. You've simply put some more diversity into your leadership teams and you've got a 15% boost in profitability. So that sounds like a pretty compelling argument to increase uh, women in leadership and to deal with this affinity, affinity bias. Okay, so now we have a better understanding of what it is, some of the research behind why it's a problem, and you might have started to think of experiences where this has affected you or may still be affecting you in your career. Now, it's not just the impact that we've already discussed. So career progression is clearly impacted in various ways, but there is a few more things going on. Affinity bias can play a role in shaping our self-confidence. If we're constantly overlooked for opportunities that we feel like we're more than capable of doing, in favor of those who share similarities with decision makers, it can start to create a sense of doubt, right? Maybe we're not as good as we think we are. It can start to erode our confidence and we begin to wonder if there really is something wrong with us. And then that self-doubt can become a self-fulfilling prophecy and we don't take the risks and we don't educate ourselves and we don't step up uh, at times where, you know, stepping up can help our careers. And so when you think of those situations, that's what a lot of women feel, right? We feel like uh, we're not as confident as we used to be or we feel like we're getting blocked and blocked where other people are in roles that are nowhere near as competent as we thought we were. And so maybe we're not as competent as we thought we were. It can also lead to various forms of isolation within the workplace. So, you know, it can lead to uh, out groups, whether they're cultural or LGBTQ, racial, age-related, disability-associated, all of those groups can feel isolated because they're not part of that in-group because the majority of people in there are in a particular in-group. When certain groups or individuals are favors, favored, others who don't fit the mold really can feel isolated and disconnected. Now, that could be a younger employee in a team of experienced veterans. It could be a person with a disability feeling unsupported in the environment or by the people within the environment, or a member of the LGBTQ plus community feeling unacknowledged. The experience can really be alienating. And this isn't just detrimental to the individuals. It can also harm the overall organizational culture by creating these divisions uh, where 
there's not so much collaboration going on, that diverse perspectives don't come in, um, and that stifles innovation when we don't get those diversity and we don't get the collaboration. And the final way affinity bias can impact us is the broader societal implications, right? Because that richness that comes from diverse perspectives is lost. And it restricts innovation across the whole of society, which means we all miss out on the potential benefits. So really, we all have a reason to try and limit the impacts of this bias. So how do we do that, both with ourselves and within our organizations? There's a common saying, you might have heard of it, what gets measured gets done. Now, it's often misattributed to Peter Drucker. I'm not sure who said it originally. And it's not always a good rule of thumb to follow, but data can certainly tell a story. Uh, and, you know, it's it's often said that data is the new oil. Um, so it can apply in this situation by monitoring gender diversity uh, and other diversity, right, uh, in hiring promotions and leadership roles, then organizations can start to keep a check on where affinity bias might be creeping in. Now, for this to work, they need to keep data both on who is hiring and who they hire. Um, and they'd need to keep some uh, diversity information about both parties. And they need to have a plan in place for when they start seeing patterns. So if white males are continuously hiring white males above everyone else, and they may have a very logical reason for doing so, but looking at our world, you cannot tell me that white males outperform other people of, of whatever it is uh, all of the time. There is no way. And so if they are only hiring that one um, cohort, then there's probably bias happening there. Uh, so let's start with diverse hiring panels. That's one of the things that we can do. Rather than one person on the hiring panel, and let's face it, it is often a man because they are more likely to be in leadership roles. We need to make sure our organizations are using hiring panels and that they are filled with diverse perspectives, unique backgrounds, and different walks of life. Not only that, they need to ensure there's an equal opportunity within those panels to have your opinion heard. Now, I have been on diverse panels. I have been on panels with uh, different genders, different ages, uh, different like introversion versus extroversion. And that's all good, right? That the attention is really good with that. But I've still had my voice overruled by the senior guy in charge. So if we can get that diversity represented and heard, that is the start of a culture where we're celebrating merit, not just likeness. Final way for organizations is to build an environment where people can talk openly, share ideas, and really start to understand one another. One of the things I run at work is a virtual collaboration meeting. So we give people that register three questions ahead of time. And during the meeting, I split them into random pairings. Uh, each pair talks to the question. So they get six minutes each to talk to the question. Whatever else comes to mind, they talk about their roles. They talk about, you know, they just get into a conversation. 
And they get to do that for 12 minutes and then they come back to the main room and I put them into a breakout room with another random person. So they get to do that three times across an hour. And what we've found is not only does this break down silos across the organization, it also helps people realize they have more in common with other people than they might have thought. And of course, it's a way to tap into that hidden potential that comes from truly diverse thinking. So let's ramp that up. Can we intentionally craft our environment and organizations to foster connections with those who seem different from us? And the answer is, of course, we can. Organizations can build bridges through bringing together cross-functional teams, holding diverse networking events, um, similar to what I'm doing even at work, and creating unique mentorship programs, intentionally pairing someone with someone that is not on the surface like them. It's about creating spaces where different voices resonate, not just echo. All right, so that's organizations. We also want to look at what's within our control. What can we do to minimize the impact of affinity bias on our career? And so my first tip is to discover common ground with the people who can impact your career. I mean, find common ground with everyone, right? But this episode is about your career. So let's focus there. We live in a world that is connected by social media. And so tools like LinkedIn give us an opportunity to learn more about those in the hiring process or our our managers if we're already there and we're getting performance reviews or we're looking to get promoted. So before an interview or performance conversation, it's possible to ethically research things like, do you have common interests? Can you find hobbies that you both partake in? Are there experiences that you've been through that your hiring manager or manager has been through? Now, it's not about manipulation or deceit here, right? It is about genuinely identifying areas of connection. It's about saying, hey, I noticed we both volunteered at that charity. Or I saw that we share a passion for environmental sustainability. By introducing these topics into conversation where you can in an authentic way, then you help bridge that gap created by affinity bias if you're not exactly like the person that's interviewing you or your manager. And fostering a connection like that can lead to a more balanced evaluation of your abilities. It changes that neural pathway that they're thinking about you about, right? Uh, My second tip, while not directly minimizing affinity bias on your career, will still both help your career and help you to minimize the impact of an affinity bias on more people. So I want you to intentionally build a network full of people from all different walks of life. Affinity bias often occurs unconsciously. And by consciously expanding your network to include people from different backgrounds, different interests, you're not only enriching your own perspectives, but also make it a habit to connect with those outside your immediate in-group. So attend diverse networking events if they're being run. Join clubs or groups that might feel a bit outside of your comfort zone to start with until you realize how much you have in common with people that you never would have discovered otherwise. 
and actively seek out mentorship or friendships with those who might offer a different perspective than yours. I remember one of my earliest mentors was a man in uh, an engineer and a man. And I absolutely had a ball with him. I learned so much from him. And, you know, we discovered some of the things that we had in common along the way. By normalizing these connections in your everyday life, you can work to overcome those tendencies of affinity bias and bring a more inclusive mindset to yourself. And really, just have a richer life, right? We don't all want to be the same and think the same. That's why we get the bubbles that we're in. So that is my challenge for you today. Go forth, create new relationships outside of your normal circles uh, and let me know how it goes. Thanks for joining me this week. If you want to continue the conversation about affinity bias or being a leader from the inside out, because that's what we're all about, come and join us in the Women in Leadership Facebook group. I also want to let you know that some of this podcast was created with the assistance of artificial intelligence. I occasionally get help with editing the audio, writing my show notes, and an occasional save from writer's block. It saves me time, which is, of course, really valuable to me as a busy entrepreneur and career woman. And as a leader, this is an area you definitely should be experimenting with as AI is going to revolutionize the way we work in a reasonably short period of time. If you got value out of this episode, I would love it if you could share it with others. And of course, I would appreciate it so much if you could rate the show and leave a review. It helps others find the show. And my goal is to help as many women as possible into leadership roles. Until next week, continue to lead the way her way.